0: This is our third slice of Habakkuk, the prophet, who lived at the end of the line for Judah, David's kingdom, before it was conquered by Babylon in about 597 BC. Now last week Margaret looked at the first question which Habakkuk put to God about this state of affairs and the question was how could he put up with the bad way that the people of Judah were continuously behaving? The answer he got was that indeed God was about to put a stop to it by arranging for the Babylonians to conquer Judah, but had just been waiting for the right time. In terms of Margaret's traffic light analogy last week, the response had been, Amber, wait. So what do you do when you ask God a question and you don't really like the answer? Habakkuk does not dispute that God ought to punish the people's bad behaviour. He has in fact been complaining that God should surely have got on with it sooner. He just thinks that the Babylonians are not the right people for the job. God is holy, he says, and therefore he ought not to put up with the Babylonians, who are surely worse than Habakkuk's people. So Habakkuk now asks, Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? That's to say, why are you silent when the abominable Babylonians are coming to swallow up your chosen people and their city Jerusalem, where your temple stands? How can you allow this? In his first answer last week, God had said how fierce, ruthless and dreaded the Babylonians are, So that's not the point here. In this, his second complaint, Habakkuk has moved on from that. Habakkuk pictures his people as helpless fish in the sea, with the Babylonians coming along with nets and hooks to catch them and feast on them. The key point comes in verses 15-16. The king of Babylon gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore he sacrifices to his net, and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his nets he lives in luxury, and enjoys the choicest food. This is Habakkuk's main complaint, and it is not that they are conquering everyone everywhere, bad though that is, nor is it the brutal way they are doing it, bad though that is too. He calls them treacherous and wicked, but the worst is this. They sacrifice to their nets. What has their net ever done for them? Is it a god? Is it even alive? Does it notice them sacrificing to it? Now I realise of course that probably the Babylonians did not really sacrifice to their nets and that this is really a figure of speech, an exaggeration. Indeed archaeology tells us that they had various other gods. Likewise, Habakkuk's people are not really fish. The point he is getting at is that having caught their fish and while they're feasting on them in luxury, the Babylonians think they got there by themselves with their net. But the Babylonians ought to know that it is the living God who has made the people of Judah like fish, vulnerable to capture by the Babylonians with their nets. Therefore, they should be thanking him instead of ascribing their conquests to their own skills and to the nets they themselves made. It's at this point that the old fashioned saying about the pot calling the kettle black creeps into my mind. I wonder if Habakkuk has thought through all the implications of his question. Habakkuk is sure that the Babylonians are bad, which is true, and worse than Judah, But by saying this, he is claiming that the people of Judah are better than the Babylonians. The Babylonians are indeed bad, but are they really much worse than Judah? Now, Not many years later, historians commented on this period uh, in the Old Testament second book of Chronicles. They finished their work by explaining why God at first waited, but eventually allowed the Babylonians to conquer Judah. They wrote, all the leaders of the priests and the people became more and more unfaithful, following all the detestable practices of the nations and defiling the temple of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. The Lord, the God of their ancestors, sent word to them through his messengers again and again, because he had pity on his people, and on his dwelling place, but they mocked God's messages, despised his words and scoffed at his prophets, until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against his people, and there was no remedy. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the sanctuary, and did not spare young men or young women, the elderly or the infirm. God gave them all into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. It's okay to ask God questions but it's probably a good idea to check first if we're supposed to know the answer already from when somebody asked it before. In Habakkuk's case, perhaps he should have remembered something that Moses had said to the people many years before, soon after he had led them out of captivity in Egypt. Moses said, The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you, and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors, that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so it's not the case that the people of Judah were more deserving or more righteous, or in any way deserve God's favour more than other people. It was just a matter of God's free choice, and the fact that he always keeps his promises. Or perhaps Habakkuk did remember this. If God keeps his promises, how could he really allow Judah to be swallowed up by the Babylonians? There must be hope somewhere. Now Sue decided that we'd have this series on the book of Habakkuk because she thought there were lessons to be learnt about how to pray. So what does this part of the book teach us about praying like Habakkuk? First, Habakkuk knows that God is holy, so the basis of his question is that what God says he is going to do, fetch the Babylonians, does not seem consistent with God's character, God's holiness. I wonder if this tells us something about prayer more generally. Habakkuk begins his prayer by praising God's eternity and his holiness, facts relevant to what he is going to ask about. Do we base our prayers on what God is like and what he wants to do? For example, do we pray that he would help famine relief workers because God cares for the starving? Or would help the police catch child traffickers because he is cross about what they're doing with their victims? Or again, Habakkuk begins by acknowledging that God has appointed the Babylonians to conquer. God does big things on the world stage. He cares for individuals, of course, just like Jesus heals individual people, one at a time. But God also raises and demolishes whole nations. At the time, perhaps nobody notices, and that is why Habakkuk needed to be told that this is what was happening. If God did such things in Bible times, presumably he does it at other times because God does not change, and he has not lost the power. So when we pray for the world and its nations, do we stand back a moment and try to see what God might be doing? And do we take heart and remember that world-sized problems are well within his great ability to fix? Or again, the attitude of Habakkuk's question, It is not an an attitude of defiance, but an honest question about something he doesn't understand. We should, of course, never defy the living God, but it is okay to ask questions or ask for wisdom if we ask in the right way. What next? Having put the question, Habakkuk now waits for an answer. Standing on the ramparts, he says. I wonder if he is really standing on the walls of Jerusalem as the Babylonians arrive and the siege begins. We had better wait and see.